Amen. Um, each night at our house, there um, comes that moment when it is bedtime, and um, we are uh, laying down the law of it's time to be quiet, and it's time to uh, lay where you're supposed to lay and, and stay where you are. Um, but unfortunately, one of our three um, is a talker and a nomad, and um, he can show up under your bed, in your bed. Um, his brothers will alert us that he's now showing up in their bed. And um, anyway, he's quite nomadic. And so typically it kind of goes like this. We walk back in and we, we share that, hey, did you did you guys understand you weren't supposed to talk, supposed to stay in your bed, right? And, and yeah, Dad, and so did you obey or disobey, right? And that's usually when the long silence comes, right? Like Kind of like when you and the Lord have those moments when you realize, hey, here's my word, did you obey or disobey? And you're like, right? And sometimes you've got to draw it out like and, and disobey. And right now, now the moment comes of, well, what do we do here, right? Do we get discipline? Um, how does that look? Or might there be mercy? And uh, I can tell you that there are three eager boys, or whoever the um, those that have uh, transgressed the law, so to speak, are quite interested in mercy at that moment. That mercy would withhold the punishment that they deserve, whatever that may bring, the consequences of their actions. And there's a desire in that moment, in the midst of the darkness... For mercy to triumph over what? I'm trying to lead you to the title where we're headed today. Sorry, that was me pointing. Um, there's a desire in that moment in the bedroom there with young young men for mercy to triumph over what? Over judgment, right? That's where James is, James chapter 2. We're going toward Hosea, and uh, the next six weeks as we prepare for revival, we're going to be walking through a, a verse or a, a book that is um, quite challenging and uh, messy, 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 messy. Um, and dealing with some of that, and as we walk through it, I, I want to encourage you to see maybe through the entirety of the book, God's desire for mercy to triumph over what? Over judgment, right? I mean, that's what James, again, he's at in James chapter 2. That's that literally the statement James uses when he talks about all of these things. And the fact he says, listen, every one of us are guilty um, uh, in accordance to the law. None of us have kept it well enough. And really the only hope for any of us is for mercy to triumph over judgment. For mercy to triumph over judgment. To not get the judgment that we deserve. And so um, with that, we're going to kind of launch out and watch God deal with his people um, who are very, very unfaithful to him, who know the requirements of the law and don't want to keep it. And how does God deal with them? And it's a tough one because God's going to bring judgment and discipline but yet in the midst of that, God is going to constantly declare this. My mercy is going to triumph over judgment. I mean, this is a God that you need to hear about. This is a God that you need to interact with because probably at some point, if you're being honest with yourself, you've, you've transgressed God's law. You've gone against God's word. I mean, you're guilty here today. And you need to know that that's a real consequence from that. There's a real judgment. But there's also a God who desires to show mercy that ultimately causes each of us to point and look. To Christ. So join me if you would, Hosea chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of uh, Beeri, um, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. What's interesting is he gives the long list of names of kings of Judah, but he's actually speaking to the northern kingdom. Remember, um, Things that messed up with David and then messed up with Solomon. And the kingdom is ultimately split after Solomon with his two sons, Jeroboam in the north, Rehoboam in the south. And so the kingdom is split. And he's speaking here to the northern kingdom. The kingdom that's named is Israel. The southern kingdom is known as Judah. Um, 
And it says, but listen, predominantly he deals with the fact he's talking about these kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. And he says, but also in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. All right. And so um, we're looking at a period most likely from uh, Jeroboam here. He's when he's talking, he reigns from 793 to about 753. Um, and then we look toward Hezekiah, who his reign finishes somewhere around 687. So we're looking at roughly a time span of 66 years. But most likely, Hosea is focusing somewhere late uh, 700 B.C. Um, so, or oh, I guess early on 700 B.C., however you determine that. But 700, 710, 720, somewhere in there, he's dealing with a lot of what's happening. Um, so that kind of gives a little bit of our setting. And then these words that are, are very um, challenging to hear. Verse 2 of Hosea chapter 1. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go Take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. The NIV translates, have yourself an adulterous wife. Um, the New American Standard says, a wife of harlotry. Uh, the King James, the New King James, are gonna, you're going to see those words, a uh, wife of whoredoms. Um, this is challenging. Um, I don't have the end-all, beat-all translation on how do we render this, exactly what's happening. I think two possibilities are most likely. I want to throw those to you. Um, one is, is that he is taking a wife who is most likely a prostitute already. And he's being asked to take this, wife, this woman as his wife, and they're going to have children. I think that's, that's a possibility. Secondly, um, and probably the one I would probably lean to a little bit more, is that this wife of whoredom is, he's going to take a wife, um, but she is going to become unfaithful. And it's kind of like, hey, you're going to know this already. And, and what's interesting here is what you're going to see is there's kind of a parallel that's happening. Is that in some way, and it's not perfect, right? But in some way, Hosea represents God and his wife represents the people of Israel. Right? Like he's going to be faithful. He's going to come and have this wife and she's going to step out on him as a way of representing really what Israel's done. They've committed spiritual adultery. They've stepped away, and what the text is going to say to you and I is, in fact, it's not only them that stepped away, we too have stepped away. We've all here stepped away. And so really, this story, although it's Hosea and Gomer, and although it's back to the northern kingdom of Israel, back um, 750, 720 uh, B.C., this is really a story that connects to all of us. And I hope and pray that we see that through our time in the text. But look what he says here again. Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. That is a challenging statement to understand no matter how, what interpretation you come to. Right? Why is God doing this? Right? And some of the other prophets have some, some major challenges. Right? Some of them go around without clothing for a while to represent the judgment that's coming. Some of them, their wives are, are killed and they don't have, they're not allowed to mourn for them. I mean, there's some serious um might say speech acts type things where these prophets are doing something very symbolic and very significant for the people to recognize, hey, listen, these people are really representing you. And so this is what's happening here with Hosea. He's coming out, having this wife of whoredom. God's calling him to do this. As hard and messy as this is for us to interpret or understand, um, nonetheless, there it is. And the question becomes, well, well, why? Why would God ever do this, right? And so you're going to see it, right? Four. Why, God, are you doing this, right? And he's going to tell you how they're doing it. So we're just going to get those two right there together. So look first with me. For what? He says, well, the land commits what? Great whoredom. 
He says, listen, I want you to know that the reason why I'm calling you to do this is because the land which represents the northern tribe of Israel is in fact guilty of being spiritually unfaithful to me as their God. They knew what I called them to do. They knew what was expected of them, and they don't want to do it. They stepped out on me. And he says, I want you to know the people of Israel have been unfaithful to me. How, God? What have they done? Well, look what he says there very directly. He says, they've forsaken me. They have forsaken my word. They have closed their closed the word and kind of turned their back on me. He says, listen, I want you to know I've been a faithful God, a loving God, a merciful God, a gracious God, a patient God, a God desires to show mercy and grace. And man, they just kept looking for love in all the wrong places. They kept looking everywhere else other than me. And now the text picks up and three children are going to be had by Gomer. And the text is tough even to translate it with this, but let's look at it for a moment because these three children are going to say something major to the people of Israel. So he went, verse 3, and took Gomer. So there's a marriage that takes place and the daughter of Diblium. And it's, she conceived, look what it says here, she conceived, this is, this is significant, and bore him a son. The text is going to record two other children are going to be born, verse 6 and verse 8. And what's going to be left out is the fact him is not mentioned. So the first child appears clearly that it's actually a child of this man and woman coming together. The other two, there's going to be some real serious suspicion and doubt. Are they truly Hosea's children? All right. So that's what the text is trying to help you and I pull out to our attention here. So look what happens here. Each of these children represents something major to the people of Israel. Look what he says here. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu, right, for the blood of Jezreel. And I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel. Again, we have Israel mentioned in the valley of Jezreel. All right, so a lot of things are being happened here. This naming of Jezreel, God sows. But Jezreel was a place of significant importance for the people of Israel. All right, lots of things that happened there. And specifically, some things that happened there were really, really, really bad. Some serious massacres took place um, in what, what happened in this day and time. And looking back to that, in 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10, um, there's a man that's raised up by the name of Jehu who begins to wipe out the kingdom of the kings of the northern tribe. In fact, he, he attacks and kills even one of the southern kingdoms, uh, kings. And Jehu does all of this stuff there. This blood of Jezreel is coming. This guy's an avenger, right? And blood is shed in a major way. He's killing all kinds of sons. Literally, he's wiping out the house of Ahab. I mean, it, it's a great massacre that has taken place. In fact, further with me, I mean... Uh, when it says there, the house of Jehu, the blood of Jezreel, um, it was something else that messy took place. In 1 Kings chapter 21, um, Ahab was sitting as king over the northern tribes. And he had this land, this vineyard that he really wanted. This guy named Naboth had it, it was his. And he wanted to buy it from him. And he said, listen, I'm not going to sell it. Even your king, I'm not going to give it to you. And so Ahab's wife, Jezebel, signs this decree. And they basically falsely accuse this guy. And they have him killed. And then they go and take his land. And Listen, the God says, listen, I want you to know I see the blood of Naboth and I'm going to bring judgment upon the house of Ahab. And so this all of this is happening here. I mean, this is this is tough. But you think contextually to name your child this would be for someone to have a child here this week. 
and call your child Marshall County High School. Right? I mean, everybody immediately would say, what are you doing? Right? I mean, for some of you that are older, to name your child Columbine. I mean, everyone would think, why would you ever name your child that? And that's the very point that God is trying to make. Judgment is coming. A massacre is coming. It's nasty. It's rough. But the people of Israel are in big trouble. And God is saying, listen, I want you to know why this is happening. What's interesting, too, throughout the text here is, is um, what God's doing. Look what it says here just a couple different times. I want to highlight your attention. It says, I will punish. Verse 4. For in just a little while, he says, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. So again, he's telling you why he's doing it. Again, I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Um, about a hundred times throughout the book of Hosea, God speaks this I. Like God wants you to know, hey, listen, I'm not happy with the way that my people are living. And I'm coming to bring judgment. And the judgment ultimately is what you're going to move to is a desire for it to be redemptive. Not simply just to judge them and scatter them back and say, I'm done with you. The desire in the midst of judgment is for God to bring his people back to him. Right? I mean, God says throughout the Old Testament, listen, unless the people are slain, unless bad things happen, they won't return to me. And let's be honest, many times we live the same way. It takes some type of catastrophe or, or some chaos in your life for the reminder, oh man, I need to get back to the Bible. I need to get back to church. I need to get back to Jesus and being serious about that. And that's the testimony throughout the Old Testament. We find ourselves oftentimes in similar stances and situations just as they did. Look further with me. Verse 6 says that she conceived again. And notice there it just simply says, and bore a daughter. The questions begin because it doesn't say bore him a daughter. Right? Is this really hers? Your text may again here may read something different. It may say Lo Ruhama um, as the name. Look what it says. The Lord said to him, call her name Lo Ruhama, or literally meaning call her name No Mercy. Why? Why would God say this? For, right? Again, this 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 person is representing. Look what he says here. For God says, again, look at that, I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to what? To forgive them at all. And that's what happens. If you exclude mercy from your life, there will be no need of forgiveness. In fact, there will be no possibility of forgiveness. If those that you are willing to forgive, it depends upon them being good enough, they will never ever qualify. If you're depending upon being good enough today to receive forgiveness from God, that you have no need of mercy, that he has no need to withhold his judgment of you and I, we are going to be in desperation because there is no opportunity of forgiveness apart from God's grace and apart from God's mercy. We're all guilty. We're all going to get what we deserve. And he says, listen, I want you to know the judgment's coming upon my people Israel, that I'm no longer going to have mercy on them to forgive them at all. That's challenging. But in this first moment here in verse 7, this moment of grace and mercy pop forth. And look what it says. But he says, God says, I will, again, see that, I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Right? That, I mean, let's be honest. Northern kingdom and the southern kingdom don't get along real well. This is like the, the principal walking into your class and saying, hey, listen, guys, I just want to announce to you all that your test scores really stink, but the class across the hall, they have totally rocked it out, and they're getting a pizza party. Right? You're like, 
Huh? Thumbs down to that, right? I mean, what's up with that? That's not very kind. And But listen, that's kind of this moment of like tension, right? Verse 7, look at this. But, I'm not going to have mercy on you, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. God's saying, I'm going to do something significant and special. Now, listen, even if you hear that and think, hey, we're good, we're awesome, we get the pizza party, right? We're, we're the good guys, in, we're on the insiders club. Reminder that 587 B.C., right, 722 B.C. is when the northern kingdom is going to be um, conquered and delivered into the hand of the Assyrians. But 587 B.C., the Babylonians show up to the house of Judah, to the southern kingdom, and they too will be judged and exiled. And so, listen, he says, I want you to know, that even though the mercy's there, these guys are going to soon follow the pattern of the northern kingdom. They're going to soon follow. And maybe I would ask you, maybe just for a moment of application, the path that you're walking, who's going to soon walk behind you and follow there? I mean, do you find yourself walking them more toward Christ in the way that you live and reflect Him? Not that you're perfect, but maybe in essence you continually remind them and yourself that you are a person that's in desperate need of mercy and grace. And that continually drives you to Christ instead of away, right? I mean, the fact that I'm in need of Him should draw me closer to Him rather than repelling me. So am I asking the people that are following your example here again, the southern kingdom will will have a time of, of maybe respite, but soon they're going to follow the northern kingdom. I want to know who can follow your example And where will it lead them? Well, a third child now comes in verse 8 of Hosea chapter 1. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and again bore a son. And this is where the imagery gets very interesting and the questions start to swirl in our minds. Really, whose child is this? Listen to this right here. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. Lo, I me. I don't know if you may, that maybe your translation may render it very direct there. Lo, I me. Literally indicating not my people. Why, God? Why would you ever name some child not my people, right? I mean, who could ever name a child and say, that's not my son or not my daughter? I mean, what, what a way to call someone. Four, he says, listen again, God is speaking to them. Guys, you're not my people. And in fact, I'm not your God. Why? Because you honor me with your lips. Now, what you're going to see is, guys, this is the challenging part, is throughout Hosea, they keep worshiping. They keep doing the sacrifices. They come in maybe in our vernacular. They keep coming to church. They're giving their offering. They're in Sunday school. He says, listen, these people are honoring me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. That's the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus says, listen, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Right? You people honor God all the time with your lips, but your hearts are really, really far from Him. And the book of Hosea is a people that are doing that very thing. Wow. And here's the challenging part. Right? I mean, we can imagine that contextually in the midst of that environment, can you imagine the people saying to Hosea, why would you ever call your child that? Why would you name your child not my people? Can you imagine him looking back at them and saying, you are low a me. You guys, this child is representing you. You're no longer living like the people of God. You're living like people that have rejected him, that you don't want anything to do with him and his word. 
And this moment just maybe leaves all of us saying, Whoa. And then this happens. This beautiful moment that even though judgment is there, God wants to scream or maybe softly whisper that in fact mercy triumphs over what? Judgment. And the church ought to say hallelujah. Let the people of God rejoice. Let God's people say amen that His mercy triumphs over His judgment. Listen to this, verse 10, this beautiful moment. Yet. Yet. Listen to this. Yet, verse 10 of Hosea chapter 1, in the midst of all of the people of God's, their unfaithfulness, guys, listen, this right here could so, and I believe it is my story, I think if you'd be really honest, you would say this is your story, that you deserve judgment, that you in fact are guilty, that you in fact have turned away, that you in fact have walked away, and yet there is a God that still loves you, that has not abandoned you, that has not given up on you, that's not closed the book on your life. There is a God who says, yet... What a a divine pause of grace yet. Hallelujah for the yet of God. Amen. Hallelujah for his goodness. Listen to this. This is beautiful. Man. Yet, he says, verse 10 of Hosea chapter 1, the number of the children of Israel. Can you imagine their ears perking up? Right? You've heard all about the house of Judah, and now God says something about yet the children of Israel. Listen to what he says here. They shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. It's interesting. He uses the sand of the sea. Why? Because this is huge significance. Why? Look, look. You see it on the screen. Let's just go to it for a moment. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. God is speaking to a man by the name of Abraham, the father of the faith. I will surely bless you, he says, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the what? The sand that is on the seashore. What happens in the midst of Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 is something so significant that we dare not miss it. God has just laid his judgment on the people. And that judgment is right. It is absolutely who they are. Right, he's laid his, his judgments out. Man, it's the courtroom, boom, 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 boom. You guys are guilty. And yet he pauses now in the midst of verse 10 to say, yet you shall be like the sand of the seashore. Why? Because two things are colliding in the midst of this. God's judgment on one hand is coming. And yet over here we have the mercy of God. Why? Because of his covenant promise to Abraham. And so God's judgment and his faithfulness are colliding and what's going to happen he's going to ultimately tell us that it looks towards someone by the name of jesus who is god's only son who could bear the just judgment of god and yet live faithfully and provide to his people a way of hope whoa that's right here in the midst of this and this guys i'm telling you right now this is getting ready to get really really good for you and me and for the people of Israel in the midst of really bad times. Listen to this. So he says, listen, guys, I want you to know that, um, let's just slip over here. Um, and in the place where, verse 10 is where I am, uh, Hosea chapter 1. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, right? Listen to this. Listen to this reversal of the curse. Whoa. You are not my people. It shall be said to them, children of the living God. Right? He says, listen, I want you to know there's going to be a reversal. 
You have, you're, you're in fact, you're, you're living like not my people, but I'm going to do such a work of my mercy and grace that I'm going to bring you back that you are, in fact, going to be called, again, my kiddos, my children. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. Look at this. This is unbelievable what's happening here. Again, now we have Judah mentioned, again, the southern kingdom. We have the children of Israel. That's your northern kingdom. And he says they're going to be what? Gathered what? Together. God says, listen, it's not my will that they should be two, but instead be one. That's the really imagery of marriage that he's using, isn't it? Right? For this reason, Jesus says, a man shall leave his father and mother, and, and it says, the two shall become what? One flesh. God says, listen, the northern kingdom's over here. that They've messed things up. Southern kingdom, you guys are fighting, you're arguing, but that's really not my will. I want you to be one, and the only way it's going to happen for you two to be one is mercy and grace must step in. That's what's going to happen in your marriage. If you two are going to ever become one, because, listen, you're both going to make mistakes, and she's going to make mistakes, and you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to, if you're not careful, it's going to just do this further apart. But, man, let God's grace and mercy step in, the cross step in. And man, it will do a work in your marriage. It will do a work, kiddos, with your relationship with mom and dad. It will do a work in the midst of your job. It will do a work of his mercy and grace. He says, I want you to know, Judah and Israel, you will be gathered together. You're going to appoint for yourselves. Look what he says here, one head, right? Ultimately, I, I believe, looking to Christ, the ultimate leader of God's people. And he says, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. We don't have time this morning, but you might mark down Ezekiel chapter 37 where God does a great work of literally resurrection. The people remember the Valley of Dry Bones, and he raises them up from the dead. There's a resurrection that's going to happen, a resurrection that's taking place, not only amongst the people being revived, but literally a real physical bodily resurrection at the end of time. He says, listen, and look what he says here. This is just striking. Four, all this is happening. Look what he says here. Great shall be what? The day of Jezreel. What is So what is once terrible and massacre, God's going to use and make it great? I mean, we, we did it last week, so I won't jump back there in the sermon. But there's only one person that can do that in your life. Who can take all the messes and all the massacres and all the things that we have totally botched and messed up. And yet in the midst of his beauty, mercy and grace, make it great. I don't know about you, but there's no one else through whom I will bow to look to that can do that in my own life. And maybe you're here today and you need that in your life. He says, listen, I want you to know there's a God who could do that. And here's the beautiful thing, and I want to close with just a couple passages here that helps you realize further your connection. Not only that you need to worship this God because of who he is to these people that look a lot like you and me, but because of what the New Testament says our connection is to what's happening right here. So watch how the New Testament interprets some of the things we've just read today. First, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Listen to what he says. Paul writes to the church at Galatia. He uses an if then. Look what he says here. If then you are this, then if that then you will be that. Right? So if you are this, then you will be that. Look what he says here. Look how he uses it. If you are Christ, then you are what? Abraham's offspring. So the promise that was made back to this guy by the name of Abe, all the way, Abram, back all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, that is carried all throughout the Old Testament, that is the most significant thing that they constantly keep coming back to, this promise made to Abraham, this covenant faithfulness. Paul says that if you become in Christ, this covenant faithfulness has now come to you. 
You too are Abraham's offspring and all the blessing that was promised to Abraham is now brought in to you. And look what happens here. Romans chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. Look what he says. Even us whom he has called, not from the Gentile or not from the Jews only, but also what? From the Gentiles. Look what happens here. And how do we know? What's he saying here? Listen to this. Let's catch this and we'll maybe just explain this for a moment. As indeed he says in where? Hosea. Listen to how he uses this passage of Hosea. He flips the script and this is beautiful. Listen to this. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. He takes Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 and quotes it, but uses it differently. And here's his change or, or transformation on it. He says, listen. You guys remember back in Hosea when the people there had made such a mess of things and walked away from God and God yet his grace and mercy said, I know you've walked away from me, yet I'm still going to show you mercy that even though you're acting not like my people, I'm going to call you my people. You remember that? He says, guess what? Gentiles? You guys remember that all throughout the Old Testament, you guys were the outsider of the court of Gentiles, right? You remember you could only come this far and you remember how you were just kind of standoffish and you guys were the outsiders? I want you guys to know that, guess what? I'm going to call the Gentiles who are not my people, I'm going to call them what? My people. I mean, that's Jesus in John chapter 10, the story of the Good Shepherd, when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and they must come in also. And most of you today, I'm assuming, are not ethnic Jews. And so when you hear the word Gentile, that means you. And God says, I know that you were once an outsider, but I want you to know that just like the story of Hosea in the Old Testament of me bringing the people that have wandered far off back home, that's what I'm doing with you. And how serious is God about this? This is where we'll close and musicians make their way. Revelation chapter 7 says these words, beginning in verse 9. After this, I looked and behold, right, it's, it's a looking toward the future of what's going to happen, this climactic moment of God reigning and ruling as people being gathered look at this moment here after this i looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes they have made been made as righteous as christ with palm branches in their hands listen what they cry out with a loud voice this is significant salvation belongs to who our God. Who's the hour? People from every nation, people from all tribes, people from all peoples, people of all languages. The great work of Jesus Christ is to welcome all people home to the Father. And He did it by giving His life for you and for me. Today, you may not be His people. But by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, you can bow your heart and knee and say, Lord, I've made a mess of things. I'm not deserving of you. I recognize that. I have nothing good to offer. But Lord, because of Jesus, I know your mercy triumphs over your judgment. And so, Lord, I just today cry out and ask for mercy and grace to forgive me as I trust in Christ's perfect sacrifice for me. Would you be willing to do that today? If you're a child of God here today and maybe you're just discouraged by the way you've been living and you feel really far off, let this story be a reminder that, yeah, God absolutely takes our sin serious and it will cost us. However, God is merciful and gracious and desires that you would return to him.
today would you return home? Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Christ, I pray for those who are far off today. Whether it's, um, Lord, you know every story. I don't have to give every example, God, you know it. So, Lord, I pray you would speak to your people's heart through your word as you have promised to do. For those that do not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray today they would repent, acknowledging their way of life is wrong, your way is right. And, God, I pray they would just say, Lord, I simply come by your grace and mercy. I've not deserved it. I'll never earn it. I'll never be good enough to keep it. I just simply come for the name of Jesus, that he is my perfect sacrifice. He is my only and final answer before you. Lord, I pray today that you would open our eyes to help us realize the story of Hosea is, in fact, our story. And, God, just as those that were once outsiders you brought back in, so too us who are outsiders have been brought near to you by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in the name of our King, Jesus, we pray, Lord. Amen. Would you stand this in worship? Maybe you need to come and bow and just to praise your King. If you don't know Christ, if there's no genuine relationship, I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, Brother Todd, others here, we'd love to talk and pray. This morning, would you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ?